We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. So, Jay, let me tell you, I, um, I'm still scratching my head. By the way, you know, I know my camera is like real high def. And I'm just going to ask you like a, uh, an aesthetic presentation question. And, and I'm going to be a little transparent here. This is going to share with folks one of the things that um, sort of pains me uh, as, we, as I continue to age. Can you see the gray hairs of my mustache on this camera? In your mustache? No. Yeah, right, right across. You can't see them. So nope. the so I think the camera is better than it actually is. Yes. Maybe it's your eyes that we need checked out, not your mustache. Okay, got it, got it, got <laughs> it. So let me tell you, all of the gray, you would think like of all of the gray, like I love all of the gray in my beard. Um, I keep my head bald, but there are little specks of gray in my head if it grows back. Love all of that. Never, ever, never. I'm not dying. I'm not dying any of it. But the, the the gray that drives me crazy is in my mustache. When I see them, I'm like literally running to the bathroom with these little needle nose scissors because I have to get those out. The the only place I don't want gray is in my mustache. So just a little a little a little fun fact. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so men are just as vain at looking themselves in the cameras as we are ladies. Um, and I will tell you, it took me forever to get my husband to grow out his goatee and his whole beard because I love gray. It's like my favorite. So I just say embrace it. Just You just go with it because it looks Absolutely. good. Absolutely. All right. So listeners, let me just say this to you. I'm going to do everything that I can to sound healthy in this uh episode. I got a terrible cough. I'm going to try my very best to not give that cough to any of you. I'm still scratching my head though. And I'm frustrated on, I, 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 frustrated may be the wrong word, but I am still scratching my head on the fact that the NFL used that Ray Rice video as a learning tool uh, for both men and women and others in um, one of their sessions. And, and I'm just I don't, I don't know. I just don't know what kind of thinking went into that. And I raise that as an issue, just in case you as a listener, if you didn't catch our episode last week, it's a real good time for you to go out and uh, visit crazyintheking.com. Listen to the episode that Julie and I did last week when we talked about what the NFL did with the Ray Rice video. Of course, you can listen to all of the other content, maybe binge on some of the episodes that you've missed, uh, but continue to share this episode and others going forward with all of the friends in your digital tribe. Um, Coachella, how you feel about Coachella? I feel like I want to go to Coachella, but that's all I feel about Coachella. How about you? Have you been? Well, I've never been to Coachella, but you know, Wreckfest reminds me of Coachella. You know, I tell, <laughs> let me tell you something. I tell people uh, when we went in, in 2019, I said, Wreckfest is like the Coachella of HR. It really is. It is. It is like frenetic, 
3,000 people outside, tents, sun, vendors, bomb event, uh, yep. bomb, bomb, bomb event, which is coming up in July of this year. But Coachella um, actually has uh, deaf interpreters on a number of the stages, not just one but a number of the stages. And Branton Stewart is one of those individuals. He says, I am a deaf Coachella interpreter. We don't just translate lyrics. We put on shows full of art and culture. Uh, and, and I'm sure he says that with a very, very, very big smile, Jay. Yeah. So actually I saw, so I saw Lizzo at 2018, 2019, uh, pride here in Indy and we had interpreters uh, on the stage and watching the interpreter was almost as fun as watching Lizzo and you don't really think of it until you see it um, that really these interpreters they're like sort of putting on a show for that that sp specific audience they become like sort of these sub performers and it's really really fun to watch yeah, Stewart says that, you know, his job is not simply to translate the lyrics, but to also add to, uh, he says, it's to speak the tradition and the emotion behind the presentation. You know, what, what was interesting to me, like you said, when you watch them, especially when they're really, really into what it is that they are doing, you really feel like, like I find myself literally watching them more than I'm watching the performer themselves. I, I literally am watching the interpreter like, wow, like they are actually, they are performing every single word. But what really got me on this story is it's been like over 14 years, 15 years that Coachella has been using deaf interpreters, um, to be a part of the show, but it wasn't always a smooth experience. Well, I mean, and, and I think, you know, the gods that they didn't stop because it wasn't a fantastic first win, right? That happened so often. Well, we didn't get it right. Someone complained this, that, the other, but they've kept at it. And now there's just this like culture of inclusion, you know, for the deaf community in Coachella so that they can go and enjoy this festival on all different stages and all different areas of chaos and amazingness that is uh, Coachella that hopefully we'll get to one of these days. Yeah. So um, that's a good story. I uh, found a, a link, uh, a comic strip. It's titled how a computer scientist fights bias in algorithms. Not a whole lot for Julie and I to talk about here. Point being, uh, if you want go out and just Google real quickly, how a computer scientist fights bias and algorithms. The link that Julie and I are looking at while we are recording is on NPR's website. It's dated March 14th of 2022. I really, really want you to see it because it illustrates in a way that a sixth grader can understand why we need to have more representation in AI. I, yeah. I know you might say, well, you all, it's, it's sort of incessant for you all. You all are like beating that AI horse, but I just don't think that we can um, we can reinforce enough why why it's important that more voices are are included in how these solutions are being developed and then brought to market. Uh, Joy Bul Bul Bula Bulawini Bulawini 
I'm, I know I'm not saying it right, but it's B-U-O-L-A-M-W-I-N-I, Bulawini. She actually is the one who uh, put the uh, comic strip together. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful storytell for not just adults, but that you can share with your young people as well. Yeah, and definitely uh, worth reading. And we'll, we'll pop it onto our Facebook page. Um and into the show notes for sure, because it, it does do a nice job of simplifying what is really, really not always easy to understand. Something that is also not easy to understand is uh, on Monday of this week, the Florida Department of Education announced that they are rejecting over 40% of math textbooks this year due to prohibited content. And can you explain what that means? So, no, it it is completely subjective. It is um, the reviewers in the Florida Department of Element or Department of Ed looking for critical race theory, um, race guilt, uh, in general, feeling bad about, you know, enslaving an entire race of human beings, all of those things that white people in Florida have decided they don't want their children to know about and has somehow ended up in the majority of their elementary school math textbooks. I've never fucking learned anything about critical race theory in my fifth grade math book. I'm just going to tell you, I didn't. I don't know what kind of education they're doing here in Florida, but uh, they are definitely, definitely working on continuing to dumb down um, Americans. And in fact, the Florida DOE was so proud of themselves that they put out a press release titled Florida Rejects Publishers Attempts to Indoctrinate Students with Their Math Books. Yeah, somebody called in on one of the uh, shows I listened to on SiriusXM earlier in the week. And um, in his opinion, he felt like it was content in the beginning, at least in one particular book that talked about the origination of math. You know, just the basic system of math being formed in Africa, starting in Africa. He said, maybe that's, he said, he did say maybe, maybe that's what they are trying to connect to CRT. I I don't know. I I really, I asked advisingly. I really didn't know why they were rejecting these books. It, it, It doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, so much of what so many of these people do doesn't make sense to me. So we move on to, a headline that says women are ultimately may pay the price for finally earning as much as men. So according to PayScale's recently released 2022 state of the gender pay gap report, when factors such as job title, education, experience, industry, job level, and hours worked are considered, women are actually close to uh, 99 cents on the dollar. I know people would probably take some issue with that number because you can always manipulate data in a way that gives a story or another story. But I'm just reporting it out of Payscale's gender pay gap report from 2022. They suggest that if you take all of these other considerations in, Julie, that women are now at 99 cents per, do- per dollar. But what caught my attention in this story is that evolutionary psychologists say that women tend to be more attracted to men 
who are more highly educated and or out earn them because sex can bring great costs for women, namely pregnancy and childbirth. Who the fuck are these evolutionary psychologists? Dude, this whole fucking article, this whole, the whole thing, uh, one, let, let's get the, the title right. Women will ultimately pay the price for finally earning as much as men because we always do. And the fact that women are outpacing men in universities, um, the fact that we are outpacing um, now in earnings is just the result of us doing the work to get to this place and now having higher levels of attainment and education and wages, we will most certainly pay for it. And now Melanie from the New York Post is trying to say, well, what's really going to happen is um, because men are not keeping up with all of their privilege that they've had for so long, um, now maybe women won't be able to find a suitable man to marry. So what we really need to do is focus back on men. What? No, we don't need to focus back on men. Men are already getting the majority of everything, for lack of just an exasperated way to say it. And this whole like nonsense that maybe now you're not going to be able to find a fucking mate. Well, I'm sorry, boys. Get your asses in gear. You want to find a mate? Get your asses in gear. Yeah, we want to be married to an equal. We want to be married to someone who can earn. But that's not necessarily just education, right? That's being able to have a, a solid conversation, being able to earn a wage, whether it's in a professional role, a manufacturing role, a, a role that has to do with, um, you know, the plumbing, carpentry, all of those things that are massively in need um, that we don't have enough of now. You can find a good mate in those professions, but it should not be the, hey, women, you've gotten there. So now we're just going to say, take a step back so we can reconcentrate on the, the dominant male species. Sorry, rant over. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I get it. And, and I wanted to hear from you because, I mean, there's so many that, listen, the, the fair side of me tries to, to understand the angle in which the article is written that that's the side of me that tries to be fair. I guess the critical side of me and, and I won't hit a rant, but the critical side of me is, well, well, what suggests that the women you even are talking about want to be with men? There's also that. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which would open a whole new rabbit hole of why men need to be focused on. For some men. Yeah, I mean, just it, there were so many things there. I mean, I've I've met so many women, you know, let's say in the last decade that earn more than their partners that earn more. There was a time that my wife earned more than I did. I, I just, you know, the whole it's just the way that it was structured, man. I was really struggling with that. And then when you got to the part about pregnancy and childbirth i was like so this sounds like the whole bare feet and stay in the kitchen type thinking it's like i didn't even i i just i really really struggled with this one um and and of course the ending uh the ending says the good intentions of feminists have led at least in part to unforeseen results 
young women have found equal pay for equal work, but are still looking for love. I, I just I struggle with the whole article, but that's a part of putting together an episode. We yeah. find stuff <laughs> that make you think. And trust me, when we come back from this break, Julie and I are going to make you think for just a little bit. We'll be right back. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. So I'm going to try this in a flash. Buying a home hasn't been this tough since the Great Recession hit of 2008. Lending standards have tightened and there's far less supply relative to the demand, which indicates the market is on more solid footing than it was in 2008. And trust me, if you know what I know and I know what I think you know, we are absolutely happy that it's on more solid footing. On the other hand, a new study found that Gen Zers have fewer meals with their family, have less free time, and feel more pressure from their parents than previous generations, creating a pervasive feeling of loneliness, which has been exacerbated by their parents. I wonder if I'm guilty. Julie, you should wonder if you are guilty of building, breeding, nurturing loneliness feelings in your, as you call them, kiddos. With mental health a topic within many work settings, let's just touch on the modeling world real quick. Tyra Banks wanted America's next top model to fix fashion. Some now say that the contestants on the show were put through what was considered psychological warfare You can find that article over on Business Insider. And real quick, Mr. James D. White, who actually is the former CEO of Jamba Juice, wrote a book which he hopes is going to help corporate America handle and address their commitment to diversity and inclusion. The book is co-authored with his daughter. It's titled Anti-Racist Leadership. How to Transform Corporate Culture in a Race-Conscious World. I wonder if I could get uh, Mr. James D. White or if you, Julie, could get his daughter, Krista, to join us here on Crazy and the King. But that'll do it for this week in a flash. All right. So welcome back. Um <laughs> I'm just going to start this segment with a laugh. Okay, so this week, a different angle, I think, on a very messy and very controversial subject uh, that my pod partner has brought to the show this week. Um, So let's jump in. So this week, we're going to talk about two women who are incarcerated, incarcerated, excuse me, at the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility, New Jersey's only female prison, which is now slated to be closed by the governor. Um, 
and you're saying, okay, two women in prison. Well, they're also imprisoned and pregnant. And how could that happen? Well, consensual visits, I don't know if they have those. Um, Part of the reason that the prison is being shut down is because the guards have been extensively accused and convicted of uh, abuse, including of a sexual nature, of their female charges. So maybe that's it, but maybe it's not, Torn. Or it could be that um, one of the guards was actually involved in a bit of uh, what we would consider to be overtime. So we have the option of consensual visits, or we have the option of the guards working overtime, or... No, no, no. Let's just do it the right way. So, I'm I'm really smiling right now because there are so many ways that I wanted to take this story. Um, how, how do I do this, Julie? Um, just lay it on us. We'll we'll edit it out if we don't like it. Just lay so, it on us. So here here here's the issue. It's not because of consensual uh visits. It's not because of guards in this case. In this case, it is because of a transgender inmate being housed in the facility. So the facility has like 800 or so women that are imprisoned of the 800 or so women 27 or so um, are transgender now yes and and clarify that preoperative transgender operative transgender so that means that at some point this one transgender has had sexual relations that resulted in these two women being pregnant, two different women being pregnant. And so I guess the question becomes, what do we do about that? Not you and I, but what do states do about that? And this right here really, really, really hits home with the sport conversation that we've had around transgender. This touches a little bit of those folks out there that have the concern around bathroom issues. This right here touches on a number of different scenarios and issues, and you cannot, we cannot ignore that. Okay, here we go. Um, So let's just say it first. Um, You know, there have been a series of developments in New Jersey over the last year. Um, The American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, um, worked to get to a place where New Jersey agreed to house inmates in their penitentiary system. aligned with their gender identity. So if you are a man transitioning to a woman or who has transitioned to a woman, now a woman, you would be housed in women's facilities and the same for 
for a transgender man. Um, and why is that important? Because not only is there a rampant culture of rape in prisons and sexual abuse in prisons, we have legislation directly targeting right now um, disper- or, uh, lowering rape in the prison system. So whether you're a man in prison, you're a woman in prison, you're a transgender woman, you're a transgender man, you are mo- much more likely to be sexually assaulted or abused in the prison system, whether that's by fellow inmates or by people in authority. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, and again, keeping in mind what Julie and I have are, are saying up to this point is that this one here is not around inappropriate relations. This one right here is not uh, an abuse of power. This one is not uh, something that could be categorized under rape uh, because it was in, in every story that I read consensual. So we are really working through a very, very tough scenario. And Julie, you mentioned the ACLU decision that happened last year, correct? In in Jersey? Uh, yes. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it, it happened last year. And, and, and here's a quote supporting the ACLU action decision, because Julie just gave you some statistics. She talked about the propensity, the probability of something negative happening to you behind bars. Uh, here's a quote that supports what Julie said. When I was forced to live in men's prisons, I was terrified I wouldn't make it out alive. Those memories still haunt me. This said by a transgender woman identified in court papers as Sonia Doe. She said that in a statement last year, according to the dailymail.com. It goes on to say, though I still have nightmares about that time, it's a relief to know that as a result of my experience in the New Jersey Department of Corrections has adopted substantial policy changes so no person should be subjected to the horrors that I survived. Julie was spot on. So we we have an issue and we may have smiled coming into it. And the smile for us was because it's a story that we don't normally cover. It's an angle which we don't normally cover. But we know the sincerity and the seriousness of the matter. And and I'm going to get to a place uh, later in the story. But I'm just really you haven't weighed in, Julie. So would you weigh in if you're comfortable weighing in? Where should transgender preoperative transgender inmates, how should they be housed? So um, the ACLU stands by this as still best practice. And I agree with that as still best practice. I think the important thing, what the differentiator here is really actually has nothing to do with in, in my opinion, the transgender bathroom issue or athletes or anything else. This is um, where a consensual sexual relationship can result in a human birth. That's the issue, right? There is sex that happens all of the time in our prison systems because generally we have separation of, of people who can procreate together, then the issue of birth has not been something that we need to handle. It is not abnormal 
that there would be sexual consensual relationships in the prison system. What is has to be dealt with here is when that results in a live birth, right? That's really the differentiator. It's not about sex at all. It's not about the fact that that a transgender woman and a cisgender woman had sex. That it, it's that that act has repercussions of a new child being born. So if we were just talking about, we, we wouldn't be talking about that if it was two men having a relationship, if it was two, uh, two uh, women who could not procreate having that. And I think that we need to acknowledge that it, there is no difference here in terms of just sex happening in prisons. This is when a pregnancy can be the result. Yeah. And you know what, Julie, I like what you said um, that it I don't know how you said it exactly, but that the issue is different than the bathrooms. The issue is different than sports. I can appreciate that as I hear it come through the microphone uh, and I process that while we are in conversation. um, I got you. I, I think what I was what I may have been speaking to when we entered into the story was the thinking of those folks on either side of the conversation. For me, this isn't political right now. I'm just speaking as people. There are folks that are, you know, for against, there are people that have the hesitations, you know, you know, if Torin decides that he wants to stand up from this microphone right now and claim to be a woman and I walk into a woman's bathroom, uh, let me, fun fact, probably two months ago, I was on a flight and I, you know how I was just sitting in an open area of the airport. It was less crowded, free, um, you know, just kind of you just sitting there. And, and so I was like, all right, cool. Now it's time for me to head towards my, uh, my flight, my gate, Julie, I kid you not. I stood up, um, and again, free area, all the seats was wide open, whatnot. Walked into the bathroom, not paying any attention. Walked into the bathroom. It was the woman's bathroom. Now, I walked in, blew my nose or whatever it was that I did. And as I'm walking out, a woman is looking at me like, you know, clutching her pearls like. And I'm looking like, why is she looking at me all crazy? But it dawned on me like after I took two or three more steps. Wait a minute. She's walking in the bathroom that you're walking out of. So one of you was coming out of what might have been the wrong bathroom. So I actually doubled back and looked and I was like, oh, my God, that is all I would have needed to have me miss my flight. You know, somebody saying that a man is in our bathroom or something of that sort. So I just I think when I started the story, I'm thinking about it from these people who who have an issue with a person vacillating between whether they want to be a man or a woman. I'm trans today. I'm not. And, and, and listen, don't hold it against me, you all. But if you pull the story up and if you look at the image of the transgender woman in the story, I'm telling you personally, you can charge torn. Don't charge Julie. Don't charge crazy and the king. I'm just telling you, there's no way that I would see this person and say that they are a woman. So, that's just me. You don't even have to comment. 
Well, I'm gonna keep you. Comment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm, well, I, so I, when I looked at it, I'm just saying to myself, like, how, how does this person even? How does this person even? I, I don't. This this one was a real real challenge for me because I felt like they are claiming trans gender woman so that they wouldn't have to go to a male all male facility that's the way that i saw the story when I, once i saw the image reading it was one thing when i saw the image i i said something may something may write in this this story and i think that's the power of the media here um so this this woman she goes by demi now her um male name uh demetrius minor I just I had to hop right in because I, I needed to know more um, okay. when I read the story. So Demetrius um, at 16, uh, part of the foster system for a long time. He committed a carjacking. He committed murder. Um, at 16, he had public defense. That public defense um, said, hey, um, waive your right to be tried as a juvenile hey waive your right to um have lesser charges and plea to first degree homicide and first degree um theft carjacking whatever um and we'll let you serve those concurrently instead of consecutively and you're going to spend 30 years in jail so at 16 in 2011 this young man went to adult prison adult male prison in New Jersey, where he has um, identified as a transgender woman, so we're we're ten plus years later, um, has filed multiple complaints about being abused sexually and physically by guards and by prison other inmates at the male prison, and is asked to be transferred to a female prison. And is now in preoperative, but still um, now in a female prison population. And so what we have is just a super fucked up story, right? A kid in the system commits crimes, has subpar representation. Judge wouldn't consider that as subpar representation identifies now and has started this transition process in in prison. So there's a whole lot of things that have happened to this young man and this young man has done that have led us to the place that we are. And I'm not saying anything about any other merit of it than to recognize that this young life as a result of a lot of really bad circumstances and situations is now going through something that she um, may have otherwise had the opportunity to go through externally. Um, but in the prison system, we have to figure out a way to do that safely for her and to also, right, ensure that when we do have preoperative individuals that we are considering the consequences of that 
in terms of, yes, there will be sexual relationships more than likely. And can those relationships result in birth? What are, what are the implications of having segregated housing for individuals who identify as transgender in terms of mental health and safety as well? Um, so I don't have a good answer. Um, I just kind of went down that same rabbit hole that you went down, Torn, and said, I need to know more about this kid. I need to know more um, about her story. Um, and it's it's a super sad story. Um, and and she's going to be in jail for most of her life. Um, and now she's going to have two kids um, who have to live with those consequences as well. Yeah, it's a great way to end it, Jay. Um, it it really is a sad story all the way around. And as well as one of the young ladies that is currently pregnant, her reason for being in jail is equally as graphic, equally as disappointing, equally as heartbreaking. It is a it, it it's a really, really tough story. And and what I don't want, you know, people to feel uh, as you listen, it's not as if we don't care. The reason we're talking about it is because we do care. And this right here might be around housing inmates, people that we often are not thinking about. But what we are saying is, how are we accommodating individuals in our workplaces? And are we providing that special treatment, that individual consideration? Are we communicating with them? Are we asking enough questions? Are we listening enough? Are we placing ourselves in the sphere of influence? Are we curious? Are we doing all that we possibly can to make all of our employees, those that are cis, those that are trans, those that are preoperative, postoperative, those that are considering operation, you know, are we doing everything that we possibly can to try to accommodate and live out that credo of employee engagement? That's where I'd like to end. You yeah. are absolutely right. And, and and I so appreciate you for, you know, putting that context around the story. I knew you would. That's why I didn't tell you that I was I was doing this. I, I literally didn't because I knew that you would add um, a layer to this that I couldn't necessarily do. But I appreciate you for that. And And what I love about our show more than anything is that you and I are never going to shy away from a, a topic so many other leaders dei people would have just said this doesn't exist you and i tough ha tackle those tough conversations that's right that's right because let me tell you their family members are inside of your workplace their family members right now know that this story has hit the you know the web their family members are dealing with this inside of your workplace so i just want us I just want us to always do better. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. 
You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. So our Her Voice segment this week is where we amplify women making moves. Jay? Yep. So let's start with a group uh, Her Voice segment to the Girl Scouts. Uh, The Girl Scouts and the National Association of Home Builders are teaming up to create a new patch and charm program in an effort to spark girls' early interest in construction and build their self-esteem, according to an NAHB press release. The patch is based on the Utah chapter of Professional Women in Building Councils, The House That She Built book, which aims to introduce young people to the professionals and skills that go into building a home, such as architects and roofers. And this week, we uh, want to amplify Doris Derby, an educator, artist, activist, and civil rights era photographer, who passed away in a hospice at the age of 82. Celebrating her turning the camera away from the violence of the times to capture the quieter moments of the movement, and in so doing, documented the transformation of black life in rural Mississippi. Let's listen to a very brief clip. When I was uh, a Girl Scout and a teenager, um, my Girl Scout leader had um, adopted a child, and uh, she was from Detroit. So she, I used to babysit for her, and she wanted me to go to Detroit to take care of the child for a couple of weeks. So I started traveling, that whole you know, uh, activity of interacting with people and learning about new places and so on was a part of my learning curve. And um, again, a part of the church, I uh, at my church activity, um, I was also interested in uh, Native American um, people heritage because we had always heard that we had we were part Cherokee. Now I'm smiling because if you are black and of a certain age, you told people when you were growing up that you were part Indian. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, Jay, uh, but when I was real little, like sub 10, I I remember vividly. People would say, well, what's your ethnicity or something like that? And I'd say, we got Indian in us. And and it was easy for me to do because my grandmother, my grandmother on my father's side, (laughs) my grandmother on my father's side, had beautiful black wavy hair. And so it allowed us to kind of co-op that little Indian. So that's a little bit of kitchen talk. Um, But finally this week, Valerie Shears Ashby is making history as the first woman to become president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Goes by UMBC for those of you who are outside of the Maryland area. Area, The University System of Maryland Board of Regents uh, appointed Ashby as UMBC's new president, the veteran educator making history as the first woman to hold the title. Now, I'm extremely excited because she has taken over as the sixth president for Dr. Freeman Rabowski, who recently announced his retirement. I got to tell you something. I'm not going to delay our show any longer than necessary. 
But if you do not know or have not heard the name Freeman Rabowski, spelled H-R-A-B-O-W-S-K-I, Google him and see what he has done for that university and for students and for young black men here in Baltimore City. He is an absolute living legend. And so for them to replace him with a black woman and make history, incredible. That's this week's Her Voice segment. And a couple quick mentions. So we learned about the Inclusion Festival um, while we were prepping for this week's episode. You can learn more at accessiblefestivals.org forward slash inclusion festival. Yeah, and I really, really liked what they are doing. So actually, Julie, I'm going to go to the link and I encourage our listeners to do it as well. Um, Again, it's accessiblefestivals.org forward slash inclusion dash festival. I'm going to go out to the link uh, and I'm going to actually I think there was a a, a place there where I could um, purchase a ticket and it's sort of like sponsoring. I'm buying a ticket so that they can then gift a ticket to someone who can't um, afford to attend the event. I want to make sure that I support that because I think it's beautiful. So you got any name drops? Uh, Just a a quick name drop to the Broad Bean team for having me this week and letting me talk about inclusive uh, talent management for people with disabilities. Yep. And mine goes out to the whole team over at Direct Employers for allowing me to be on the stage and deliver the keynote uh, this week at their DeanCon 22 conference. So I appreciate you all, Shannon, Jamie, Liz, and everyone else over at Direct Employers. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture teams and workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghost. See ya. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.